Thank you for listening to our New Life Christian Center podcast. Stay tuned after the sermon for more ways to connect with us. Hallelujah. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, please, to the book of Genesis, chapter 8, if you would. I've been speaking over the last month or so about the promise of God that keeps on giving or that keeps on producing. And, and really the nature of this is this verse in Genesis chapter 8. So before we read it, let me pray for you so that we can go into God's word with our mind and our heart open. Father, thank you today. We just open our hearts and our minds to you. We recognize, Father, that we do not know everything that you know. That we are receivers of your wisdom, receivers of your knowledge, receivers of your understanding. We present ourselves today to you to be a receiver. We realize, Father, as we seek you, that you are a rewarder, a rewarder of those who diligently seek. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. In the book of Genesis chapter 8, and if I, if I seem like I get broken here and you saw Chad, we started, we have a new piece of software, a new piece of hardware. We have something different in the house today. And so the screen that I normally get to look at used to look just like the one that you can see. But we, we've made a change to, do, to facilitate some other things. And, and so anyway, I'm not looking at the same thing you are. So if I have to stop because I can't see what I think I need to see, um, just be aware. I'll, I'll try and be my own, my, my, my best professional self. And so you won't know if what I'm doing in my speaking style is pausing so you can get it or if I'm actually pausing because I don't know where I'm supposed to go next. So, amen. Let's read it together. Are you ready? Genesis chapter 8. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, day and night shall not cease. Do you see it? These are the things that God said after the rainbow covenant. Come on, don't let, don't let the world, you know, hijack the rainbow. Okay? That's God's promise to us. And when, when, when uh, Noah crashed the boat and they got off of it, God then had a covenant with them. And, and this is what he said. While the earth remains. Now remember, when this is potentially being said, the water is still receding. And they still have a real visual stimulus that says this really did happen to us. A few days ago, we were all standing around being laughed at. And those same people that were laughing at us were almost run over by the, by the, uh, by the animals that God called into the ark. Right? I mean, that, that would have been a great parade. And, and, and then when God, the Bible says God shut the door. That's got to be pretty cool. Right? I mean, people clamoring around, and all of a sudden, God goes, we're all done, bam, and that door goes shut. And the water comes up, not only from the deep, but down from the, the, the sky, and, and we hadn't had rain up to that point, near as I can find in the Bible. Pretty interesting turn of events. And of course, the clamoring that was once in mocking is now in desperation, Right, And they went through this. And when they floated around and they sent out the test birds and all those kinds of things, well, at some point they finally landed. I always like to say Noah crashed the boat. Um, but, you know, the one thing if you read the story is he didn't build a steering wheel. 
That's more important than you think. Because most of you want God to be your co-pilot. You want to have a steering wheel. Noah didn't have a steering wheel. He floated. Are you ready? Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm ready. Noah floated at the will of God through the function of the water. You float in life based on the function of the water, which is the Word of God. You don't need a steering wheel. Amen. Amen. So when we get to this place and we start looking at this, this promise that God gave, it continues to produce. It will or shall not cease. And again, you prove it to yourself all the time. I proved it to myself last night. I don't remember a spring like this where every time the rain came, it was inconvenient for me. I mean, normally in this kind of semi-arid climate, you know, this is really a high desert area around here and we don't get that much rain. And it really comes at opportune times where everybody claps and says, yay, God. Well, now that my schedule is busy, I just want to tell you something. Occasionally it rains on the day I need to mow. And my neighbor, who's, who's in now in full competition with me, did I tell this story last week that he left little eight in? I keep forgetting, I'm going to send the picture, because I think he's actually disappointed that you've not seen the picture of my, of my yard. He left three stripes about eight inches wide and about eight or ten inches tall after he, or, you know, he mowed my lawn. Bless his heart, I just love him so much for that. But then he put this big sign on my door, it says, hey, you didn't win this week having the best lawn in the... So he just waited for me to notice it, and then he got his mower back out and went back there while I was there and mowed the strips down. And so now, I'm telling you, the, 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 the moment I get home, if I'm able and it's light out and it's not wet, i got to mow my lawn because I'm not letting Dave mow my lawn. He's having way more fun. It's the promise of neighborliness that just keeps on giving. It'll not cease, the Bible says. Summer, winter, cold, heat... Night, day, those things will not cease as long as there's an earth. Neither will seed time and harvest. So living in the promise requires a belief in what was said. Living in the promise requires a belief in what was said. You do have it, good. And a trust in who said it. That's what we're talking about. If we're going to live in the promise... We have to believe what was said, and we have to trust who said it. So I'm going to prove that to you today, and I'm going to do it in, in, in uh, 26 minutes. I'm going to prove that to you, but I want to call your attention next to Titus chapter 1, beginning in verse number 2. It says, in hope of eternal life, which God... Now underline this if you're in your Bible or in your, in your device. Learn how to underline. Learn how to highlight it. So the next time you're back to this area, you'll, you, that'll, that'll jump out at you. Who cannot lie. Promise before time began. But has in due time manifested his word through preaching. See, 
It's not that you haven't ever heard this before. It's that there's a separate or a distinct manifestation that God's trying to show you. This is never going to end. The whole of God's function towards us is through seed time and harvest. He promises. You put stuff in the spiritual ground, it will produce a harvest. That's all there is to it. It will produce a harvest. But notice what it says. It says... God who cannot lie in verse number two. Now just take a moment in just a second and realize that there is a difference between cannot and will not. See, I can choose not to lie to you, but God by his very nature is truth embodied. He cannot lie. It is not possible for God. Don't be twisting the truth here. God cannot lie. When you read his word, it does not take a genius to make foolishness out of what God said. Because somehow, because our experience is not being able to see what we actually think we're supposed to see, we then evangelize in our words of what God's word means. God cannot lie. Don't tell me that healing has passed away. Don't. He cannot lie. God does not change. You must believe what's said and trust who said it. And he cannot lie. Come on, process with me. You say, well, yeah, but pastor, I'm not. Don't tell me what you're experiencing. Grab a hold of what God did. God cannot lie. See, if you'll get that, what I'm about to tell you will help you live in the promise. And actually, the promise is the blessed life. And I'll try and define that depending upon the time frame. Turn with me, if you will, to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 5. So there's a difference between cannot. Did we put that up? Did you put that up, Jeremy? I'm sorry, I didn't. I can't. We'll get used to it. Did you put up the quote? You did? Did you all get the quote? There's a difference between... Cannot and will not. I, I may not have actually read it like that. I'm just telling you out of, my, out of my experience with God. God cannot. It's not that he chooses not to. It's impossible based on the very nature of who he is for him to lie. Amen? That makes sense. Are we together? So we're going we're gonna to believe in what was said. We're going to trust who said it because the guy who said it cannot. His nature is truth. He cannot lie. It won't do you any good to tell anyone else, oh, but pastor or oh, but friend, you know, we, we see that differently. Well, you see it wrong. God cannot lie. Don't tell me, come out and say, well, we've never experienced. I don't care what you've experienced. God cannot lie. Start there. You say, but pastor, my experience. Your experience is based on you, not based on him. See, much of our experience, our difficulty, comes from a positionality that we have that says, God, you're real because you've done to me what you said you would do. We believe or trust in God because he does something good for us. But I'm going to blow that out of the water today through a very common scripture. Through a very common. But let's do this one first. This is Hebrews chapter 10. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence. The word for cast cast away there literally means to set aside. But one of the reference books that I looked at to try and 
to just kind of build this in my understanding, gave an example, a first century example, that said that if a soldier set aside his shield during a battle, it was a capital offense and he could be killed. If you, are you ready? If you set your shield, Ephesians chapter 6, shield of? faith, if you set it aside during a time of battle, it's a capital offense. What's a capital offense? You die for that. You die for that. Now, I'm not saying that I want to take old traditions and that kind of stuff, but can you see that when you set your shield of faith aside, that you're removing the very thing that keeps you shielded from the world and Satan's attempt to kill, steal, and destroy? Right? And so when you cast aside, cast aside what? Your confidence. Where do you get confidence? You believe what he said and you trust who said it. See, don't trust me. I can can disappoint people with lightning speed. It's not about trusting me. You find it in God's word and you believe what you see, what you read in his word, and you trust who said it. I'm just here to report it to you, which really makes my job kind of kind of flighty, because if you people ever figure this out for yourself, you'll never need another pastor all your life. <laughs> but God said in Titus, the Holy Spirit said through through Paul, who wrote to Titus, that through the manifestation of preaching, what well, God knew that we would need this to be preached to us over and over and over again, because our circumstances will betray our belief system. And then that brings us to this understanding. Put up the quote, please, Jeremy. Your confidence in God's nature must not be cast away regardless of circumstances. You need that. You have need of that. And he says in the following verse, in Hebrews, in the following verse, he says, you have need of that, for when you've done the will of God, you can receive the promise That word received there literally means to pick it up and carry it away. To pick it up and carry it away. Oftentimes when Tracy and I have spoken in non-church related areas. I was in a, I was in a hotel in Costa Rica preaching to pastors. And, and I had to say to them through my translator, you know, this is not a church. Take your stuff with you. If you brought it with you. Take it out. Don't leave it here because none of these people are going to respect your notebook or your Bible or any of that kind of stuff. Take it with you. What's that mean? He means receive, pick it up, and take it with you. Receive the promise. See, it's not a promise once it comes to pass. It's a reality. We're living in the promise. Pick it up and take it with you. Receive it today. See, it's no longer a promise. You're sitting in a chair today that will hold you up. After you sat in it the first time, you did not need to test it any other time. Right? You didn't have to. I I have enough gross vehicle weight on this frame of my body that I've sat in chairs where it was just a bit sketchy. I actually hate wicker furniture. Because the moment... That one ounce of my girth touches the wicker, it begins to out loud complain. 
It cracks and creaks, and I'm thinking, I am going to be on the ground. This thing is going to break. It's not going to hold. And I've, I've probably told this story. I'm sure I have. But in fact, in that same in that same pastor's deal, I was sitting, there's a picture of me, and all those little plastic outdoor chairs that you might have at your house, well, they're smaller in a foreign country because the people are smaller. And so I'm sitting there in this little chair like this, eating the mystery food. And, and I'm eating along, and, and when, I, when it got time for me to get up, I started to stand up, and a chair came with me. I'm thinking... There's no way for you to hope that nobody notices... You have a chair stuck to your derriere. It stood up with you. Praise God. You can say, well, you should lose weight. No, I'm just big boned. (laughs) Come on, who hasn't used that excuse? I mean, how big do my bones have to be? You imagine how tall I would be if my feet weren't big? What a bunch of crazy humans we are. I mean, honestly, we come up with all kinds of stuff. And what God says to us, and you just got to believe what he said, right? And trust because he said it. Amen. Amen. Turn with him, if you will, please. To Matthew chapter five. Now, you may want to just follow along, but it's not going to read. This is the message Bible. And I'm, do we have that? that? Is that what I'm reading? Okay. So I'm going to show you a couple of things about living in the promise. Because there's some things that you've got to process here. If you're going to live in the promise, or if literally, if you're going to live in the blessed life, you're going to have to understand some of the things that he said. And the Message Bible puts this so clearly in this passage, Matthew chapter 5. So I have it on my, on my uh, device and, and so you can follow along, and I believe we'll have it on the screen for you. Here's the first verse. When Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds, he climbed a hillside. Those who were apprenticed to him, the committed, climbed with him. Arriving at a quiet place, he sat down, taught his climbing companions, and this is what he said. You all know what's coming next. It's the story of the blessed. Blessed are you when? Only this context puts it in such a way it's absolutely lovely to realize that he presents something that's just not all that cool and then he gives you the results of that. Now here's my point. When we are in this position of being blessed, we have to recognize that we're in a blessed life where Jesus, our Savior, climbed a hillside. So what I like to say is personal ministry or following Jesus is uphill both directions. It's hard, people of God. And it says those who are apprenticed to him in verse number one climbed with him, which means that when Jesus goes up the hill, he wants you to go with him. And it says the apprenticed, the committed ones climbed with him. You're going to have to climb the hill. This is not for the faint and for the easy people, well, Jesus will be back. If Jesus wants me to heal, be healed, he'll certainly heal me. And then you kick back in your easy chair and you live like the devil. No, that's not what we're talking about. You're going to have to climb the hill with him. You're going to have to be committed. You're going to have to apprentice yourself to him. If you want to live the blessed life, apprentice yourself with Jesus Christ. Amen. 
Notice there in the second verse, he says, they arrived at a quiet place. First, I guess it's still a part of the first verse. I'm sorry, I thought it was the second verse. He said he arrived at a quiet place. Jesus arrived at a quiet place. Why did he take his disciples or the committed ones or the apprentices to a place that was quiet? So he could teach them. He took them to a place where they would sit and receive from him. You need that place. You need to climb with him. You need to be apprenticed to him. And you need to be the committed one. Verse number three. Here come, remember, the, the, these are the Beatitudes. Blessed are you in. And, you know, we read them in the original kind of language and original translation. We go, oh, yeah, those are cool things. But look at this. Verse 3. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. No. No one believes that. But I want you to today. Because you have to believe what he said and trust the person that said it. Why would you want to trust in your rope? Shall I ask it again? Why would you want to trust in your rope? Your rope is the best you can do. He says, blessed are you when you come to the end of your rope. With less of you there is more of God and his rule. Oh, that's how it's blessed. See, we're so willing to trust ourselves. Remember, we believe what he said and we trust who said it. Well, we believe what he said, but we trust who heard it. Me, I heard it. I trust me. So I'm going to do everything I can to facilitate living a blessed life, which includes being really comfortable. A blessed life is really comfortable, right? Where... Most everything goes your way except for the small things you don't really care about anyway. I mean, you're never in that position where you don't know which way to turn. You don't know what else to do. And the only thing that you have left to hold on to is who your Savior is. Been there. Doing that today. It's why I like to have my family here. Because as you keep seeing me gone, many of you might imagine what my daughter-in-law looks like. Well, if you saw her today, other than not having any hair, she doesn't look ill. She's not like some little skinny woman waiting to die. And for whatever reason, it makes me comfortable. Because I think maybe you'll believe with us better if you can see her and make your decision about, well, she must not be so bad. Because when we're gone all the time, the natural human thing is, well, I must be getting close now. No, you don't have to say amen. It's okay. It's where my brain goes. It might be where your brain goes. When you go through these things where you're at the end of your rope, you might want to consider letting go of your rope. So there's less of you and much more of him. But it is dang scary. Not, I mean, like for real scary. Because what's at risk is really hard to process. That's the blessed life. Aren't you happy I told you? Look at the fourth verse. You're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Well, no thank you, actually. 
I'm not blessed when the thing that, forget whatever you think the thing most, you know, most blessed is. Whatever you think it is, man, you're blessed when you think you've lost it. Who signs up for this? Who climbs the hill with Jesus? Who's the committed? Who's the apprentice? Who learns the promise behind the speaker's words? You're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear. Only then, only then can you, embe- can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. Want to know how to get hugged from God? Stop hoping that the hugs you're willing to receive are going to work. Get past all of that. Verse number five. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are. <laughs> I'm sorry, but there's not a half a dozen people in here who don't have some aspect of who they are. In most cases, it's when we look in the mirror, right? I mean, I don't understand when my grandchildren call me old. I'm not old. I'm good. I don't understand. Yesterday, my kids kept saying to me, Dad... Go sit down. Well, shut up. I can do this. Get out of my way. I learned that I cannot lift a three-quarter inch piece of plywood. I don't know what they weigh more than I can lift, okay? And it won't do any good if it's a four-by-sheet piece of plywood to cut it in half so you can carry it. (laughs) If you need the whole sheet, cut it in half. Don't help. My boys are saying, Dad, get out of the way. My wife came out. I'm standing. I'm standing. So there's these little obsessive compulsive things in building that I don't like. Like there's, there's, a, there's a cable connect. There was, there was <laughs> a cable connection going to my, my wife and I haven't, had, haven't had TV for I don't know how many years. There is nothing on TV that I'm missing. You say, well, yeah. Well, okay. How much do you spend on cable a month? Don't shout it out yet. But many of you might spend more than $100 on cable. You wonder how much I spend? Goose egg. You say, well, don't you need that? No. Everything that happens on the news program has already happened. You don't need that. Well, how do you know how to pray? Because I listen to God. (laughs) I try not to stand sideways when I look in a mirror. If I had a full-length mirror, the three things that stick out are my toes, my nose, and that part right here. I don't really like that. I'm not all... I went to the orthopedic guy today. You've all seen me limping a little bit, and I thought, oh, dear, I'm going to have to... Have, I've had a couple of knee surgeries, in fact, three, and, and you know, I'm thinking, oh, here we go, and, 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 you know, I wasn't really trusting the healing power of God because the healing power of God wasn't quick enough to take away my pain until I ran out of patience and grace and, and you know, how that works, and, and I have this thing, I don't, I don't take pills, and, and I certainly don't, don't take, you know, serious pills. And you say, oh, you would. I said, well, just hide and watch. But, but anyway, uh, so I went and he said, well, we can maybe give you a shot. I said, let's do that. And he said, well, this might hurt. I said, I've been living there. I've been living in that pain. And so anyway, he stuck a two-inch needle into the gap of my knee, one on each side. 
And until I was climbing ladders and carrying wood, I was feeling pretty good. Not really content with who I am. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are. No more, no less. See, that's that's the problem is, I want there to be more. And in some cases, I want there to be less. It's why I don't stand sideways in the mirror. I like there to be less of this part, right? Any of you know what I'm talking about when you bend over to put on your socks and you need oxygen? Do I need to explain to you why that happens? There's too much of this and it's squishing on the other stuff in there. And the other stuff can't do its job. And so then you get all red-faced. I'm still flexible enough to get my leg up there, but my leg pushes against the stuff that's in the way. I'm not comfortable with who I am in some cases. I want there to be less of this and more of some other things. Are, can you witness with me? Amen. This is the blessed life, content. He says, that's the moment you find yourself proud owners of everything that can't be bought. Wow, that's a great harvest. Pick that one up and carry it home with you. The proud owner of everything that cannot be bought. Thank you, God. Look at verse number six. You're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. How many of you know what it means to work up a good appetite? Praise God. I love that. I love driving by restaurants that are beginning to cook whatever it is they're cooking. You know, you drive by and you smell it and you go... (laughs) One of my children used to live a few blocks from a Krispy Kreme Help me, Jesus. That flashing red light on the side of that building was a stop sign. I worked up a good... But see, I wasn't working up a good appetite for God. I was working up a good appetite for personal satisfaction. Are you with me? I got a big appetite for personal satisfaction. And occasionally I have a reasonable appetite for God. He said, blessed are you when you've you've worked up... Listen, I'm more hungry when I work harder. Are you all? If you, if you put in a little bit of effort and that kind of stuff, and you know, you've been out doing whatever it is you do, you know, and, and, and your time to eat lunch or whatever it is, and you're saying, man, I'm kind of hungry. Yeah, you worked up an appetite. What would happen if you would expend the spiritual energy of your last spiritual meal? When it came around again to eat spiritually, you'd be hungry for God. Blessed are you and you worked up good, for he is food and drink in the best meal you'll ever eat. Wow, what a good promise. This is the promise that keeps on, keeps on producing. This is the blessed life, people of God. Believe what is written and believe who said it. Verse 7. Three more. Are you ready? Four more. Counting this one. You are blessed when you care. Oh, I care. No, I don't care. There are times where caring is so much work. Because really, some people are needing something because of their own ignorance. I get tired of that. I get tired of driving by the people with the sign that says anything helps. And I want to stop and give them a website and say, go listen to me preach. But you see, that wouldn't necessarily help under the circumstances. So what do you do? You've got to care. And the manifestation of that care needs to be according to the person you believe 
trusting in the person who said it. When you care. At the moment of being careful, you find yourself cared for. In the midst of doing that, you have a level of satisfaction. You're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and heart put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. I'm telling you right now, when I go through certain fires like I'm going through right now, God always deals with my inside world. Always. But why? Because he wants to show me what it looks like when God is at work in the outside world. I see God working in me, and it enables me to see God working in the world. So for an example, after someone has a surgery, and you say, well, I thought you didn't believe in all that. I believe just fine. God's smart enough to give us doctors. Praise God. And if, you know, part needs to be fixed, have it fixed. Didn't make, you know. God doesn't not like you because you go to the doctor, but he does struggle just a freckle when he's in second or third or fourth place. Put him in first place. I waited since October to go to the doctor. You say, really? Yep. You probably didn't notice that I was limping around. Probably didn't, you know, I was hiding that so well. You probably couldn't tell that one of my legs hurt worse than the other. And I limped around until both of them hurt. Because the other one was compensating for the one. But I wanted to keep God first. God, I'm not going to the doctor unless I'm absolutely positively clear that that's what you're asking and telling me to do. I went last Wednesday. Verse number nine. You're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. What's he asking you to cooperate with? Not all the junk, but what he's doing in you. I want to cooperate with God. I want to come out of the difficulties that I face. I want to come out with a sheer trust that says, God, I don't know how we got here, but I'm glad we went there. I'm glad, Father, you taught me some things. I trust you more now than I ever had. And I'm not sure I needed that to to learn how to trust. But I'm telling you, I trust you more today. You're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. Oh, man, pick that promise up and take it home with you. See, you receive the reward of the promise. Pick it up. Take it with you. Verse number 10. You're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. Nobody signs up for this. The number of people in positions of authority or understanding, who have said to me or people I've been with over the last 40 years, they've said things like, well, we want you to trust God, but, but. And then here they go with this story about how what they're saying is more influential or more powerful or more truth than what God's Word says. And they'll say things like, well, you have to be a realist. Listen, do not wake me up from this dream called the blessed life where Jesus is at the center of my life. Do not wake me up for that to tell me what your reality looks like. Well, I'm just getting by. You're not getting by. You're settling short. Oops, did that come out? I just meant to think that one. You're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. 
The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. True persecution, because of who Jesus is, will drive you deeper. If it drives you to the place of frustration and anger and outbursts, you've misinterpreted how to respond. You didn't take this promise with you. Amen? Come on, music team, move with me, would you please? Let me give you this last quote, Jeremy. The blessed life is not a status thing. It doesn't produce in you certain things that make everybody notice, not that kind of notice. But rather, it's a promise thing. It's what God says He's going to do. But you'll have to choose those things. The blessed life is not a status thing. It's a promise thing. It's believing in what was said and trusting who said it. Are you all ready to live a blessed life? It's a little different than stuff just raining out of heaven. It requires for you to take a little journey with Jesus as He climbs up the hill in ministry and that kind of stuff. It's uphill both directions. And you find yourself going, wait a minute. He says, no, you signed up for this. You're my apprentice. You're the committed ones. You climbed the hill with me so we can sit in quiet so I can teach you these principles of what it means to live a blessed life. Amen? Amen. Stand with me, would you please? Father, Your Word... Sometimes your word is just something that we never contemplated. It takes what we see as humans that might very well be negative and difficult, and it just turns it on its head. And it says, if you'll cooperate with me, this thing that you thought was bad will turn out to be this awesome promise, this harvest, this, this time where it continues to come to pass. Because seed time and harvest never cease. See, we've just seen the time of planting as a difficult time. We've eaten our seed. We've not planted in difficult time. We've not expected the harvest. Because we didn't pick up the promise and take it with us. We didn't expect the reward of not casting off our confidence. So here we are, Father. We've done our best today to change that perspective. So let us live a blessed life, Father, as we recognize these principles in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. To subscribe to our podcast, search New Life Eckley in all of the major podcasting apps. Audio and video of our sermons are posted at newlifeeckley.com slash live, and you can watch Sermon Slices weekdays on social media. Search at New Life Eckley. Our main service is at 10 a.m. Mountain Time every Sunday. Thanks for listening.